Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is GroovyTube. Episode 5, The Crimes of the Brady Bunch. Yeah. We start Season 2. Season 2. And we have, so episodes 1 through 6 of Season 2. Okay. And again, we're going through when they aired, not when you'll find different lists in different places. Yeah. But, and so the first one is The Dropout. After a visit from Don Drysdale of the Dodgers, Greg lets his obsession with becoming a Major League Baseball pitcher get to his head. But he eventually learns the hard way that he's not the star he thinks he is. Yeah, Ooh, someone learns he a learns lesson. the hard way. Episode 2, The Babysitters. Mm. Greg and Marsha are left in charge of babysitting their younger siblings for the first time. But Cindy Sniffles cast a pall oh. on Mike and Carol's planned night at the theater. Episode 3, The Slumber Caper. The famous tale of Marsha's first house party, which almost doesn't happen after she's accused of scrawling an unflattering picture of her teacher in class. Marsha's brothers conspire to ruin the party with the predictable result. Episode 4 is the un-underground movie. Uh. For an American history class project, Greg enlists his family to create a documentary about the first Thanksgiving. Mm. Number five, going, going steady. Marsha goes gaga over her first steady boyfriend, nerdy insect collector Harvey Klinger. But Harvey doesn't even know she exists. Uh, How does Marsha get Harvey to pay attention? We uh, find out. And then the sixth one, call me irresponsible. Oh, I will. (laughs) Mike gets Greg an after-school job at the architectural firm where he works. But Greg loses his job on the first day Mm -mm -mm. after making a very costly error. Oh, Greg, Greg, Greg. Poor Greg. And before we get into those, I want to talk a little bit about what was going on with the show. And people nowadays kind of remember it as this big hit, but it wasn't. They were always kind of on the cusp of being renewed the first season they only were at first approved for 13 episodes and then they got the okay partway through for 13 more and it was because they were shown during the day in syndication while it was still in original production and stuff that it began to gather steam erica walk in the bradypedia talks about what happened between the first and second season i want to share this the brady bunch is back for a second season despite the predictions of most critics Says Robert Reed of the occasion, I was really surprised, but it's always nice to be accepted. Hmm. You tell yourself you'd rather do something else, but it's always a matter of rejection. And Charles Whitbeck of the Toledo Blade wrote, The premise of a widower with three boys marrying a widow, wrong, as we know, with three girls in ABC's The Brady Bunch, sounded like a show marked by a death wish last fall, but the intrepid Brady family is with us again for another season of mirth and canned laughter. Reasons for series survival remain a mystery. Being prejudiced, I like to believe that Alice, the housekeeper, played by Ann B. Davis, is responsible for audience approval. And then Erica Woke, whose book this is, writes, Indeed, the show defied the odds, and whether it was because of Ann B., the wholesome storylines, or something else altogether, the nine blue box smiling faces were back to entertain viewers again. And speaking of the blue box... Yes, I would like to talk about... But I would like to just say about the critics i don't know why the show resonated with kids well the schwartz the schwartz is actually one of them says something about how i think it was sherwood the fact that they had three sets of kids boys and girls there was an age group that one kid could identify with yes you know and it was boys and girls so boys and girls could identify with them i just remember when i was little i loved that show i don't know why and it has stuck with me and it's funny i remember watching it and it ended up being pitted against sanford and son 
which we also watched, so I'm not sure. I know. We I might have well, watched, watched reruns. Brady Bunch reruns a lot after school. But, and it's funny. But I remember Friday nights we used to get McDonald's and we would watch the Brady Bunch and Partridge family. Right. And I'm actually the same age as Susan Olsen who played Cindy, but I always identified with Jan. It's like the kids on the show seemed younger mm-hmm. than we were for whatever reason. And I wasn't like, I didn't think it was this wonderful show. Yeah, I always wanted to watch yes. it. And part of me was cynical and made fun of it. But I still, Just I think. Just like now. I think part of it is their lives, despite all the trickery and sadism and <laughs> gender issues and everything that went on, were a lot simpler than real life. Yes. And it was kind of this fantasized version because we had six kids. Totally different. Yeah. Totally different world. But you were going to talk about the theme song. So Sherwood Schwartz wrote the words to the theme song. Just like he did with Gilligan's Island, his other show. And he wanted the guy that had written the music for Gilligan's Island to write the music. That guy was busy doing something. So he got Frank DeVol. It reminds me of Joe DeVola from Cherry Sign. I know, Sign I, know I know. He had written My Three Sons and a Family Affair, which were music but didn't have words. And I remember My Three Sons. My, and the So he had him write the music, and Sherwood wrote the words. And I think that they go together pretty well. And Sherwood also talked about the difficulty because he tried to gauge it because they had to introduce them on screen. In order of ranking. Oh, for so, the for the checkerboard. Right. Thing, so the, he had to start the song. I with, think of tic tac toe. I do too. But he had to start it with Carol with Florence Henderson yes. because she was the top. What do they call that? Square. No, <laughs> the top billing. Yeah, she got the top billing. So he had to start the song yes. with her. It was a tricky little song. Oh uh, yeah. And he explains that's why you see Alice at the end, even though she's not well, mentioned. Well, because she and P. Davis' contract was that it had to say special and also starring. Also starring. And P. Davis she had to be. Alice. She had to be singled out. Yes. So he did figure all that out. And the first season, you'll notice if you are watching watching the way we do, we have. The first season was not sung by the kids. It was sung by a band called the Peppermint Trolley Company. Company. And we've talked before about how we didn't really like like how they sounded. That fake. We're adults trying to sound like kids. And so Lloyd Schwartz, who Sherwood some, but also worked on the show and became assistant producer. Associate. Associate, sorry, producer. Had the idea, which I thought, I think is a very good idea. Very good idea. To have the kids sing the theme song. And the Paramount executives did not like that idea because they said the kids are not trained singers. And Lloyd's like, that's the point. I want them singing like kids sing. And no one understood understood that concept right which is really stupid that they didn't understand it but i get you know how things are always done a certain way you get real singers to sing not kids we don't want to but anyways he prevailed probably because it saved money yeah and the kids sang it every season they would sing it it again and they'd re-record it and as a kid watching it you notice that and when you're watching reruns you kind of know from the beginning what kind of what it's going to be and then he also his idea was also to have one of the kid characters the bumper they call it you know how right before the end right we'll we'll be be back back, have one of the kids do that their voices and that was apparently the first show that did that yeah wow and that also saved money so Lloyd had some good he had some good ideas he was a smart guy another thing about the music 
music that Sherwood points out is he really liked the tune, and the tune was very flexible. <laughs> and you'll notice it'll sad. be slow and scary. And there's one episode we're going to talk about today where they use it to they use it for suspense, mm-hmm. and it's very. And then there's another one with a that we're going to talk about today with a montage where yeah. it's very peppy and everything. But it's funny because that music is just very. It's branding before yes. people talk yes. about branding. It was. And a few other shows that did that. No. So that was pretty cool. Oh. So should we get into it? Yeah. Should we the get right into first in? episode? Dropout. The dropout. And this has a celebrity guest who most people wouldn't know now. Don Drysdale, Don Drysdale. who was an all-star pitcher for the Dodgers. He and Sandy Koufax were a big yes. one-two punch. And one of my issues with the show, in fact, is when Greg talks to the girls a little into the show and they don't know who he is. I know. And there's like no boys. way three girls that age in Los Angeles, especially with brothers who apparently like baseball, aren't going to know who Don Drysdale is. For nothing else, because he was blonde and handsome. Yeah. So that kind of... But let's start... So Mike is is apparently designing a house for Don. Oh, but before we get to that, Lloyd Schwartz in his book said they had several baseball players, including Willie Mays, signed up, and Lloyd had to call them, and he called them up and they answered the phone and he was a little stunned by that. Yeah, I And that. they all seemed excited about it, but then the show decided to go with Don Drysdale. And Lloyd said even though Willie Mays played for the Giants, which is the Dodgers arch rivals, he would have loved to have Willie Mays on the show. And I think I would have loved Willie Mays too, but for whatever reason, I think mostly because Drysdale was a pitcher, they decided... Yeah, he, uh, that's what he said. It was he who was a pitcher and Greg was a pitcher. So, so he worked out better with the script. The but script. So Mike's designing a house for Don Drysdale. And he's at Mike's office in the beginning, and he's, Mike says, I'd love to have you come by my house and meet my son. They love baseball, especially yeah. the oldest. So Don shows up, and Greg is super rude. I know. I Like I, they I always are when there's a visitor. They all, and, and nobody remarks on it, because Mike goes out to... Mike was there, they were right. rude with Mrs. And Mike goes out to the backyard with Don Drysdale, who's a big guy, and Greg's about to pitch to the the boys, and Mike's like, Greg, I have somebody I want you to meet, and Greg's like, not now, I'm busy. <laughs> like, he isn't going to notice fucking Don Drysdale. Well, first of all, if your dad says, you, I've got someone for you to meet, you, especially you the like Brady kids, like, who, you yeah. know, you turn, you know. No matter if you're about but to pitch. But it, that didn't fit the plot. script. Yeah, they're polite nice kids until... And I also noticed... And Mike kind of chuckles. I noticed a kind of a... And this might just be me. Mm, Okay. Kind of a homoerotic undercurrent between Mike and uh, And Don. Don. Yeah, there was a lot of sideways glances and... um, I thought thought that Bob was kind of into Don. Don's a good-looking guy. Don is a good-looking... If you like that type, he's not my type. The other thing is... And the other thing is it annoyed me that Mike... I'd like my boys to meet you. Yeah. No consideration at all that the girls well, may want to. Well, I have to, no idea who he is. But this is a show where girls girls aren't interested in sports or don't like sports. So, um, Greg pretty much falls in love with Don. He does. He like head over heels. Head over heels, and Don's showing him how to bat. Yeah, Don is showing him how but to. But I bet he falls in love with him innocently. I didn't mean. I that. know because Greg's underage, but Don is showing him how to pitch. Yeah. He's showing him his, he shows him his secret 
slider, and he shows him what he can do in his stance a little. And then Don makes a stupid joke about to Greg. About, I don't think it's really a joke more than a platitude. You yeah, know? just like, oh, well, you keep practicing, and someday you could be in the You might even get a bonus. You You'll be, be a bonus, bonus baby. baby and all this, which Greg immediately takes to mean that Don... Not having seen, I think Greg throws one pitch that Don admires. Yes. And then Greg is off to the big leagues. And Greg's all agog, and he tells the girls about it, and they, and of they course, don't know don't who, who Don Rysdell And he goes, don't girls know anything? Apparently and, of course, not. Bobby, I like the way Bobby and Peter, kind of, because now Greg's going to be a big Yeah, and they're like, the, uh, he didn't, he said you could. I like the way they're not buying into the whole yeah. thing. They're you just know? like, no, he said you could. And, uh, no, he totally meant, he meant that I was going to be in the big league. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, and then, of course, Carol and Mike get very concerned before they get concerned, so they're in bed. And why on TV shows, whenever two people are sleeping and one wants to talk to the other one, they have to turn the light on? Why does that happen? But Carol turns the light on because she hears a noise, and then there's the whole funny ha-ha trope of her trying to convince Mike there's a noise, and Mike is trying to sleep. And it's Greg. It's 5 in the morning, and Greg is downstairs lifting lifting weights weights in the family room. And Alice wakes up too and she can't afford to miss a minute her of beauty, beauty sleep. sleep and of course she has ha ha and, and, and of course like, she has lotion slathered all and over no her face and curls her like Alice don't put yourself down yeah and then um Greg is reading a baseball encyclopedia and I can tell you it's not the baseball encyclopedia cuz this is a girl who actually liked baseball and the baseball encyclopedia is a huge tome that I has statistics from well. every baseball game ever played and every person who ever played it And Greg apparently is a trivia book, and he feels he has to bone up on baseball history. But I'll tell you something, most Major League ball players know shit about baseball history. Now, I have written in my notes, and I can't remember who it was, that just signed, was it Willie Mays, that just signed a $200,000 bonus? It may have been. Because they mentioned Willie Mays in another... Yeah, I know. I know they mentioned Willie Mays at some other time. But someone had a $200,000 bonus, and I was like, wow. Wow. How times have changed. I mean, I know even for them, that's a lot of money. The market supports... You know, people bitch about how much ball players they, make, they, and they get, did back then. Although, if you've read Ball Four, you know a lot of them didn't they make. They get, they get what they get. Right. The market supports what, just like any other industry, supports what people are going to be paid. And, and, uh, and um, it's so cute that Carol doesn't know who Abner Doubleday is. <laughs> I wrote exactly the same thing in my notes. So cute that she didn't know. The <laughs> oh my God! Because because person. oh, it's so silly. Women, haha. They're not going to know anything. You wouldn't. Else. You wouldn't know who the fuck Abner Doubleday was. I know. And even if she didn't know, Greg was just talking about him. And it's like, oh, if it's about sports, my pretty little head can't retain the information. It's so funny. And she does that in a later episode that really annoys me. But for the purposes of this one, I also think it's ironic. Now, remember, in The Undergraduate last week, Greg was hooked on his teacher. And the way his grades were going down, so the way they got him off that was baseball. She was going out with Wes Parker, another Dodger pitcher. And Greg, it, it, Wes Parker talking about baseball, and it broke the spell, and he could go back to school. But now he's obsessed with baseball, and his grades are going down. So maybe they should have gotten him a prostitute or, you know, well, a girl. Well, if Don Drysdale had told him, study hard, and maybe you can get into UCLA and play baseball, and then be You're right, because he felt like he didn't have to go to college. Yes. He didn't. He, he thinks he can drop out. He thinks he can drop yeah. out. And just, first, Mike, Mike thinks the obsession is funny, but then he gets Right, and he flunks a history test, and for instance, it's a question about what was the most significant date in history, which I think is a really subjective question right, anyway. Yeah, I know. But he puts down 1969 
because of, of the Mets winning the pennant. But let me tell you something. Okay. He's a Dodger fan. He's not going to think the Mets winning the pennant in 1969, even though they were amazing. Okay, Bob Reed. I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, I'm Bob reading it right now. But I'm Bob just saying. Reed, yeah. There are many significant dates in Dodger history. Well, maybe when the Dodgers moved to California. Well, or maybe even earlier in the 60s, if Greg was that much of a fan, like what, Sandy Koufax pitched a perfect game, or Don Drysdale did, or they won the pennant. They won the they beat the Yankees in the World Series. Hey. I, I'm just saying. I don't know. So Greg... Comes in and uh, Mike and Carol are sitting his, in the living his room. His head is getting way too big and, for uh, his britches. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Greg thinks he can drop out of school. And Carol and Mike first they're laughing. Yeah, and I think he's funny. But then, yeah. but, but then, then they realize the kid's they, serious. They realize, yeah, Mike doesn't take it seriously. Carol's a little concerned. But then Mike thinks. Some trickery gonna, is in yeah. order. Somebody needs to he's learn a gonna, lesson. He's going to get Don Drysdale to come and play yeah. some mind games. Yes. Yeah. He talks about, so Don comes over, yeah, and that's I, when Don's in his study. Right, yeah, that's right. And Don is going to mind he fuck. Don into his right. study. Yes. Yeah, so to, to, to he wants to pull him on the mind <laughs> game. On the mind fuck. You have to mind fuck my son because it's not enough to just talk some sense into the goddamn kid. say, look, kid. I was only jo- It was like a remark. Right. At, at, I, I was kind of shouldn't just, have said it, but instead Don tells Greg how tough it is to make it in the majors. He doesn't mention the groupies, though. No, he doesn't mention the baseball annies. He doesn't mention. But Greg is too dumb to. Yeah, he mentions uh, you know how hard it is, especially in the minor leagues. You know, and it still is, by the it way. It still is, and it is. you don't start making all that big money till you get the majors, and how a lot of guys never make the majors, and blah blah blah. And, and, and uh, I want to say that I think Carol was dubious about this plan from the beginning, and while this is happening, she she gets a very annoyed look on her face because she can see that Greg it isn't making Greg's any not kind buying of impact. It. Well, Don's trickery wasn't <laughs> up to break. Levels. <laughs> because Don is going on about how tough it is and how hard it is and how he's even had hard times and stuff. But obviously there he's a fucking rich guy who's a star who everybody loves Who and Mike's designing this beautiful house for him. And Greg doesn't say none of this is said in the show, but you can tell Greg's just not buying it. Later when Mike's like, well, didn't you hear what he's saying? And Mike has a nice talk with him. After lecture. Craig finally learns his lesson. No, no, no. no. We, hasn't, we haven't come to I know learning we his lesson yet. But when it, someone, I thought it was one of the boys, said, well, didn't you hear how hard it, it's going to be? And, and Greg's like, well, that's for guys that don't make it. To, I'm going to go straight to the major league. Yeah. And um, Carol Carol is very annoyed that it, it, it backfired. Yeah, and Greg is practicing giving autographs. Yeah. Like he gives one to Cindy. Cindy. <laughs> she totally doesn't understand. At one point, Mike kicks Peter in the butt. I know. Well, I I I noticed that there's a lot of physical pummeling of Peter throughout the series. That he's constantly getting smacked. A lot of it by Mike. Hmm. Hit on the butt, smacked on the shoulder, whacked on the head. Because that's what you do with your dumb middle kid. So Greg's gonna yes. go play a game. Yep, and he's in pony after, league. Af- after this tutorial by by Don Drysdale, he thinks he's gonna do really well. Yeah. Um, so after Don spent a minute and a half showing him yes. how to. To throw his screwball or whatever. So they have a, actually a location shot of the baseball game. Yes, they do. It's obviously shout outdoors. And Greg gets 
killed. He gets shelled. How many? Twelve runs. He twelve gets runs. Up. He gets. He. he they, gets I don't know why they didn't the pull game. him for another pitcher, but they did pull him. They pulled yeah. him. That's why he came home so soon because they oh, yeah, pulled that's him. Right, that's right. And he came home and he's all chasing. And actually, and some very good acting by Barry Williams. He's a very good actor because he's upset with himself. He's shamed, and he does a good job of. He's very. He's yeah. a very good actor. So he realizes that. He's not going to be in the major leagues, probably, and maybe he should study, I guess, you know. His head got too big. Mm-hmm. Mike is very pleased by Greg's downfall. He is pleased. His shade and Freud. The chance to dispense his wisdom yes, to and the then Mike, Right, and then Mike has to hammer it in with one of his Mike talks. Just in case Greg didn't yeah, get Yeah, just message. in case Greg didn't get, you know, the double-barreled. And Peter and Bobby are very happy that Greg sucked in the game. Yeah, they, they come are. home gleeful. But yes, <laughs> I know. They, they are, oh, they are family. They didn't empathize it's with him at all. way. Then Alice, at some point, makes a joke where she calls herself 2-2 by 4-4. Four, four. Oh, because the girls are wearing tutus. Yes. So Alice calls herself 2-2 two, two by 4-4. Four, four. And Ambie Davis is not a large woman. No, she's not. She's just like normal size. Yes. So... But, right. you know, it's got to be And fun. everyone laughs. No one says, oh, Alice, that's not yeah. true. Yeah, oh, Alice, you're actually... Um, I mean, at least when I make fun of myself, there's these two, these women I work with that are sisters yeah, that, all, that always tell me yes. how beautiful I am. Yes, there you go. I liked that one. That was a good one for Mike's mind games and lecturing. Yeah, it was. Really? It was. And also, some good Barry Williams was Barry a great centric show. Now, Barry, I'm sure that there's a lot of times he the show centers on him because he was... I don't know what he did. He didn't seem to do as much, although I was looking at IMDb, and he did do, you know, quite a bit as an adult, but not any starring roles. But he's a very good actor. He is, especially when he has to bring the emotion in scenes like that. Well, he's good at the nuanced emotions, too. You know what I mean? He's good when he's angry. He does a good job without overacting. That was the first show of the second season. And now we're on to the next show. Which yeah. is another one kind of Greg and Marsha based. Yeah, and this is when and I was... parents kind of... Right, know. and this is when I was feeling that they hadn't fully gotten into... At some point they start rotating so each kid gets their own kind of episode. But they hadn't really started doing it yet. So this is another The Babysitters. So the premise is... That Mike is all excited. He's got tickets to a to show. To some show. To some big they show. Really they really want to go to it. And they're that night. row center. Yeah. And Carol reminds him that Alice is going over to Sam. Because so at the beginning, Alice is put, trying out these frilly curtains because she wants... She's going to help Sam decorate his apartment. Mm-hmm. And hopefully... Because she's set her cat for <laughs> Sam. And Mike... Despite his sympathy in the meat cutter ball episode of he's last like, oh, week, shit. yeah, she, he couldn't she, care less. And poor Alice, doesn't she get a night off? No so shit. So he's like, can Alice make other arrangements? But Carol, to her credit, yes, Carol firm. sticks up for it. But the problem is, who's going to watch the kids? So they decide they need to get a babysitter. So one Greg thing, and Marsha are just standing well, eating potato chips, watching this. <laughs> but Alice calls a bunch of her friends, and one funny moment is. She's talking to one who's going bowling that night, and Alice says, I hope you break a 100. And if that was candlepin bowling, okay, fine. But they don't have that in California. They only have it in New England. So, you know, a 100's a really shitty bowling score. I don't know that. So, see, I don't think the writers did either. Either that or Alice's or maybe Alice was friend joking. really sucks. Her friend really sucks. Although yeah. she seems sincere. I just thought it was a funny... Well, maybe her friend is trying to break No, I just am constantly feeling that there are things... You're constantly Bob reading everything. I am. I, I have a little you're, bit of Bob You're channeling 
channeling Bob. No, what I feel is I am channeling Bob. Somebody has to. But what I feel is maybe that spirit has come through you. You know, he's been. It's possible. He's above. Okay. What I feel is that the writers don't have certain life experiences and possibly bowling. Being a woman is obviously one. And possibly bowling is another one where they think, instead of just, I mean, they didn't have the internet to look it up on. How could they know that a hundred, breaking a hundred and bowling, if you don't break a fucking hundred, then you just need to throw your bowling ball in the river and go home. Okay. I'm just saying. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, anyways, so Mike and Carol are discussing the fact that maybe they they don't know what to do. I know. And they, they really want to go to the show. And, and Greg and Marsha get are, together. Are standing facing each other in the back of the kitchen eating potato chips, listening apparently. to this and whole they're thing. Pissed they're pissed because and I don't blame Greg them. Greg is like 14, Marsha's 13. Yeah. And they're like, why can't we babysit? Kids our age babysit, which. I did. But they don't say that right out loud to the parents then. They go have a talk. Not only did you, but by the time I was 10 and our older sister Liz was 11, our parents couldn't fucking get a babysitter. So that's when we started, when we were 10 and 11, yeah. and also babysitting for other people when I was people 10. Did, yeah. And sure, I dropped some babies and stuff. <laughs> Michelle Poplakis, if you're out there, I'm sorry I dropped you. Everyone you seem fine. Yeah. Like, I mean, I wasn't old enough to babysit. So, But no, so yeah, Greg and Marsha are in the background and they, they stop out, they, they look at each other, out. then they go have a meeting. A yes, and Greg meeting. is, of course, I'll do the talking and you just nod, and of course Marsha agrees, oh, you know, yes. because they decide, rightly so, that they're friggin' old enough to babysit. And then they tell them they get 75 cents an hour, which is more than I got. I got like 50 cents. Mom and Dad didn't pay us. Well, no shit. You for babysitting. But I remember Mom bringing a book, like I remember once she gave us a copy of the Phantom Toll Booth, which of course everybody read, so it wasn't like just for us for babysitting. It was what it was. It was part of being in a big and family. And so they give them a speech telling them that to to be good because Greg and Marsha are going to be babysitting. And Greg and Marsha are on top of it. But Cindy has to start sniffling. Yes. And she's not even sniffling. She sniffs once and then sniffs again. And I'm like, OMG, the fucking sniffles again, just like the fucking... I, I blew my nose a million times a day. I know. If anyone was concerned. Now, somebody could argue that Carol was looking for an excuse not to leave the kids alone. And again, How long are they going to be gone? Like five or six hours? Yeah, it's a script written by men who aren't there when their kids get sick. So they don't know that people sniffle all the fucking time. And Cindy isn't like sniffle. She does one sniff. I know. And then they're going out to bed and she sniffs again. So I noticed in this episode that divisions are kind of by age because they have Peter and Jan hanging out together and watching TV. Although Jan's on the phone to Gloria. Well, no, but before that, Peter and Jan, like, go off to watch TV. Yeah, Peter says, come on, Jan, let's go watch TV. (laughs) Mike quizzes Greg about (laughs) answering the door. And then... uh, Oh, Bobby. Well, first he does Greg and then Bobby. Yeah. And then Alice comes and takes Bobby away to, what, And Mike's still outside, yeah. Yeah. To have dinner. No, to have dinner, which is And weird. Bobby and Mike's still outside. Making the funny voices. Yeah. See, I thought that part yeah, was, was cute. funny. That did make me laugh. Yeah, and I thought it was natural, like, when the kids are watching TV, how they're, like, lounging around with their feet on. And then Greg's trying to be Mr. Like, when Jan's lying on the couch with her, like, feet up on yeah. the back of the couch. I used to lie on the couch like that. Talking with still Gloria. Still, <laughs> talking with Gloria. Well, Gloria's doing the talking. And Greg tries to, and you almost think that this is going to be a power goes to Greg's head yeah. episode because he has about a minute and a half 
of power, and the kids kind of sneer at him, but do what he says. But it doesn't go in that yeah, direction at all. Direction. Surprise! And the big direction it goes in, and this is such a tired, worn out, and it was worn out then. In fact, the first ever episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show. And yeah, the exact same thing. Yeah. Carol and Mike are all worried about the kids. And they're at this very expensive restaurant where they end up getting charged just for <laughs> sitting there, even though they and don't the know And the guy, what. the captain's very snooty. So they keep both sneaking off to make phone calls, not telling the other one that they're sneaking off to make phone calls. Yeah, and of course, the line is busy because Jan is on the phone and with Gloria. Like, I was like, what about Mike's other line in his office? Not that they would hear it yeah. ring, but... You know, they don't even try to call that. Right. Because and we know that he has another line. Yes, in his of office, but maybe they're not allowed but to also, answer that. Mike phone. is acting kind of gay at dinner. He is of. acting very gay. So they decide to blow off this big show, to blow off their expensive dinner, and to go home, but they don't want the kids to think they don't trust them. Yeah, but they want to go home and check. So, so they sneak. they're sneaking around outside, Getting bumping into noise. things. Mike, who's normally a graceful guy, can't help but trip over things. And Greg hears a noise and calls the, the police. police. As he was trained to and do. And guess who they run into in the backyard? Alice. Alice. Who's also come to check And so the cop, Give one black. Sex. The cops, one black and one and white. And the black one's in charge. And the black one's in charge. So they do have these little triumphs of anti-racism, very subtle and far between, but they do it. And they do the stupid three people talking at the same time, over-explaining without it. completing a full and the sentence. Cops looks- and the dubious. cops look dubious. And that's a little gimmick that's used throughout the series that I just want them to get through and get over with because I don't find it amusing. And I didn't find it amusing as a child. And the four older children are watching them with out the glass, Out the glassless door. And one thing that is good, though, at least they still had time to go to the show and see the show. Yeah, they went they back. for dinner, but they got to see the show. That's right. We assume that they all learned that the kids, Marsha and Greg, can babysit the kids. And, and Alice can go off and, and have, have some a life. fucking fun, yes. man. Poor and somebody Alice. actually mentioned in the show that she wants to marry Sam. Oh, At Carol says it to Mike, yeah. But you don't, you know. Oh, yeah, you don't want to marry, marry Sam. Sam. And Mike says something like, I, I hope sure not. I hope not. You're not my type. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I think that's another example of almost like adult-centric, even though the kids were the babysitters. Yeah, it's more of the centric on the adults. Yeah, but now we come to another Marsha episode. Which this is one I remember And this is one very apparently a lot well, of people remember. Very fondly. The Slumber Cave. And Hannah actually watched this with me. Yes, and she enjoyed it, didn't she? She very much Because it had a lot of girls and it doing stuff. And first of all, so to Marsha's dad to right. give his decree. So they're all there, yeah, biting on their fingernails while Carol is in Mike's study, making the case, we find out, for him to let Marsha have a slumber party. And of course, Cindy and Jan have to be included because it wouldn't be fair to leave them out. And I'm like, in what world would it not be fair? We all have slumber parties in the Brady world. and our sisters didn't. I mean, Liz and I, since we're a year apart. Yeah, but the, well, someone that's three years but younger But you're three than years younger than me. Come. You're Jan to my Marsha. And, and Nikki is yeah, Cindy to yes, my Marsha. Yeah. Not that I'm Marsha, but well, no, you're yeah, my, yeah, you wouldn't be. I mean, you might... You and sneak Liz in and we kick you out. Yeah, the boys are disgusted by the thought of girls at and their house. And anti-girl attitudes oh, run rampant. Yes, There's do. a lot of gratuitous anti-female. And then, of course, the girls love boys. Yes, because so, all they do is play games and talk about and talk boys. about boys. 
And, you know, I was thinking, and so the boys decide to disrupt the slumber party, but I was thinking, wouldn't it have been a better plot? And I almost thought this was coming, because it's been decades since I'd seen this. You know, because the boys don't want to be anywhere near it. But if the reason Greg wanted to disrupt it was because he actually had a crush on one or two of the girls and wanted to be around the girls, and so he was trying to convince his little brothers ah. to do this because he really wanted to... It would make more sense. Yes. There was a girl coming named Paula that had the hots for, for him. him. And I noticed that this is another episode where Alice is not as clownish. Alice is not excited about the fucking slumber party, and it turns out it's obvious why. No shit! Mike because and Carol make, make take plans off to go out day, for dinner. Yeah. And Alice has, is there with... And there must have been... How many kids were there? Like 10, 12 know, girls? I mean, it was a girl. lot of girls. And they're all in the living room. Screaming. Screaming and shrieking. And I liked... Well, one thing I thought... A quote I thought was kind of funny. They're talking about the uh, sleeping bags. They're airing out the sleeping bags. And don't these girls bring their own sleeping bags. That's, That's what, what I thought, too. To and they only had four sleeping bags, and there's like ten girls. Uh, whoever. We so, always used to bring our own sleeping bags, yes. So, uh, my, uh, I don't know if it was Mike or Carol says, maybe we ought to hang them up and beat them. And this <laughs> is the girls or the sleeping bags? <laughs> no, the boys. Because no. the boys didn't clean and them out. And then the boys are them. all like, oh, don't worry, and Mike looks very suspicious. Yes, he looks suspicious. The boys suspicious. are being extremely helpful. Mike looks suspicious, but he never brings it to the no. next level. No. To find out what what are they up to? But meanwhile, something happens. Something happens at school. Marsha's called Marcia, into the principal's who office. Who is E.G. played by E.G. Marsha. Who played Robert Reed's father in The Defenders. But according to Lloyd, Lloyd Schwartz, Schwartz, they weren't exactly sentimental about seeing each other. No. Were, but in any case, Well, I was assuming that the reason they had him was because they used to be Right. Close. And it's funny because you watch that and you're like, wow, what's this really I know. I'm like E.G. Marshall. So he calls Marsha into the principal's office because... She's drawn a picture of George Washington. Well, we don't know. It's we don't George know Washington. that yet. She's drawn a picture of a face, an unattractive face, <laughs> with her name on top, and underneath it says in these block letter printing, Mrs. What was her name? Denton or a hippopotamus? Yes. And the teacher found it in her desk, and she's accused of doing that. And Marcia pleads, "It is her name." And in her handwriting, and she did draw the picture, but she didn't write, as they keep calling them, the real marks. And the thing is, nobody, this is, here's a couple of things that bother me. Nobody remarks on how the handwriting for that is different from her name. I know, I know. Nobody, until later in the show, acknowledges somebody else sits at Marsha's desk because they change classes and nobody also acknowledges that this is not Marsha's style. I know. So she gets really unfairly blamed for doing this without any concession that it could have been, there could be another somebody explanation. Else it, yeah. even, even that somebody else did it and put it in her desk or something. And the he's very Marcia, unyielding. Marsha says to him, um, Fuck you, you fucking old bag. Says, I'm going to go smoke pot out behind the bleachers. She says, I was drawing George Washington. I had some time, so I decided to draw, draw George Washington. And he's like, well, okay, but it doesn't really look like George Washington. She's like, well, I'm not a very good artist. <laughs> So so she gets blamed for that, and she has detention for a week. And so when she goes home, Mom and Dad have been informed of what happened, and so they tell her she can't have the slumber party. Right, and this reminds me of something that happened to our older sister when we were in grade school. Short story. At St. Albert's in Ohio, Kettering, Ohio, a girl who walked home the same way we did, somebody was making fun of her, following her home, making fun of her, and throwing... Dog poop? Rocks at her. 
And Liz and one of her friends, I think it was were accused of doing it and sent to the principal's office. If you knew our sister Liz, it's just not. She wouldn't, yeah, she, she would have do. Done that. But she was accused of it and couldn't defend herself, and she could tell the story better than I. I think she was in fifth or sixth grade at the time, so I would have been in fourth or fifth grade. And it was only kind of solved that she wasn't the one when somebody recalled that she and got a ride home, like, Ooh, from just like somebody that day. Well, it kind of was. But the thing is, there was no recognition by the principal, who was a nun, that, not that that has anything to do with it, that it's it was not it was not anything our sister Liz... I, I mean, know. She was she a great age. I mean, at least they she said was, about Marsha in the show... It's not like her to do yeah. this. And Liz just, I mean, she was just a very proper, yeah, straight Yeah, she wouldn't have done that. Never no. would have. But it happens. No, it happens. And fact. And when you're a kid, I mean, I've been accused of things I didn't right. do before when I was yeah, in school. Yeah, and teachers don't You believe. don't have any recourse. In fact, Lloyd Schwartz points out that a similar thing happened to, I can't remember if it was one of the writers or something else. Yeah, and something happened. Where it, they it, got. He said most of their stories came from. from right, and somebody lab. did the yeah. same thing. They drew a picture of George Washington or something. Somebody else put a funny joke on yeah. it. And the kid got in trouble. And I'll have to say, Maureen McCormick is a very good crier. She was She's, crying, and yes. and she went home. She talks a little in her book about she had a lot of stuff going on at home. Yes, she in did. In real life at the time, which made it easy for her. And to Lloyd talks about cry. how she is a good crier. And her parents say, he wouldn't punish you for nothing. And they tell her she can't have the party. Slumber party. And she says, well, if you don't believe me, I don't want anything from you, a party and or anything. And then she stops off crying. Up. And that part really upset Hannah when she was yes. watching well, because her parents didn't believe her. Well, Maureen McCormick sold. It, man. And Maureen did sell it. That I gotta tell you, Maureen, if you listen, that yeah. my daughter it just. Was but very then upset. Mike and Carol talk about, and it. they're like they did believe Marsha. Yes, because I think one of the reasons they believe her is because. The fact that she didn't really care that much about the slumber party. Right. It was the reason she was upset because they didn't they believe They didn't believe her. And she even says that to her sisters, that the fact that they didn't believe her. And I have to say, this is kind of a little watershed for the Brady Bunch. Well, I thought where it was they, good parenting. Yes, myself. where they do some good parenting and there's no trickery or anything involved. No. They decide that Marcia they can have uh, Punisher. They can't do anything about principal because he did what he had to do. But at home, she's not going to be punished. So right. she's still allowed to have the party. And then Marcia decides. Well, she's thinking about who sits at my who desk. Yeah, who, and Jenny will and her best friend. which Played they, by Hope Schwartz. So Sherwood. Actually, and she's in the credits as Hope Sherwood. Oh, so people won't know. Right. She's on several times. She Later, she plays a girlfriend, a Rachel of Greg's. And, and I later. Think she's on another one too. And she does a good Jenny. job of crying it up. Jenny. And also in this episode, because I think it was cheaper for them or whatever to use the daughters of staff and stuff. Barbara Henderson, Florence's daughter, who's a good friend of Maureen McCormick, plays Ruthie. Was Ruth- She's the one who who had to go upstairs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And Carolyn Reed, Robert Reed's daughter, plays Karen. She's the big kind of butchy girl. What does she do She's in the, the one show? who says, let's play ha. Huh? Oh, she's the one when the Ruthie... Braids. She's got braids. Right. Yeah. Got, and when Ruthie says, let's go, you know, because yeah. they're playing trick or treat. Yeah. yeah, she looks kind of like him. And, and they were all, and they were good friends. So Marsha calls Jenny Wilton. And just... An uninvited. Her. lashes out She's at her really in the meanest mean. way and says, you're not my friend anymore. And that anymore. upset Hannah, too. Yes, well, and Jenny was upset. She was crying. Yes, she was so, I don't understand, Marsha. Yeah. And so she 
the party goes on and they're all having fun. And one of the tricks the boys do, of which all I their think is really bad, is putting itching powder and in the sleeping bags. I think that's eggs. horrible. And not only they is should it have banned, punished for that. They should have, but everybody thinks it's funny. The girls all start itching after they play Truth or Dare. And part of the Truth or Dare is, first of all, Paula, she's kind of cute, admits. Yes, yeah, she does. She takes Truth, and and Marcia says, "Who, who do you think's the cutest boy or in school?" And she goes, "I, Greg Brady." And they all laugh. And then Ruthie takes Dare and has to go up. To see what the I mean, boys Karen are doing. takes Dare. One of them takes Dare and has to go to see what the boys are doing. And she asks, Marsh, Ruthie, will uh, you come? And Ruthie's like, oh, I'm not going up there. So Marsha goes, I'll go with you. But then they start itching. Because oh, well, boys, uh, before that, the boys come down the stairs in masks and scare them. Yeah, the boys keep scaring them with masks and, and stuff. Then, but then, yes, everyone starts itching. And Marsha quickly realizes yeah, she's right. And so Alice brings them all upstairs, this dozen girls, to take a shower in the one bathroom. But my, but the thing is, they go back to the same sleeping bags. Nobody's washing the sleeping I bags. I know. I thought the same thing. Or giving them new bedding. I know. And we know how long it takes to wash sleeping bags forever. Ugh. But then, while all the itching is ensuing, Paula says she likes jokes. She Paula likes jokes. Likes jokes. Like she, the one they played on Mrs. Denton. And wasn't that funny? And Marsha's like, what? Wait. What? And, of course, it turns out, and Paula very innocently, and I thought they did this well, too, very innocently had done that, thinking Marsha was the only one who was going to see it. Yes. And didn't realize. I don't know how she didn't hear Marsha got in trouble. I would think it would have been all over the school. So she said, would it help if I went into Mr. Randolph tomorrow and told him what happened? And then Mike and Carol come home. And they lecture Marsha. And they lecture Marsha. Now, see, you accused Jenny just like you were accused. Because they didn't know that she had done that. So Marsha starts crying again. Because she was so mean. She did, says, she's the most horrible, horrible person in the thing. world. Yeah. And that, so then Mike and what Carol What did Hannah like, think of that part? She liked it. She liked uh, this whole episode, yeah, I must say. But Mike and Carol are like, ooh, we can lecture. This is yes. a good episode. And they double team her. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And you they lecture about horrible falsely thing. accusing. Yes. And you know how you felt when you were yes. falsely accused. And now, look, you just turned around and did it to Jenny Will. And the marshal's like, oh, what can I do? Well, it's still early. You can call her and have her come yes. over. And so Jenny comes over, forgiven. and then Mike opens the door to them and gets a pail of flour on his head. Which was hilarious. <laughs> and then Alice opens the refrigerator, and there's a blinking skull in there. Yes. Which the, is hilarious. Hannah was afraid of the boys in their masks. Yeah, well, she isn't used to being around. She is six. She understood the little lessons in the show. Yeah, she's this a much was smarter not that bad. There, she yeah. did think it was funny because Greg called Bobby a dumb dodo. Yeah, <laughs> and I think the lessons are good. I think every kid can identify with being falsely accused yes. of something. And yes. not being listened to by adults. Yes. And the whole lesson about don't falsely accuse people, although they falsely accuse in their family. <laughs> all the time. I know. The next. The next one is another Greg one, underground movie, where he comes the home. Un-underground. Un-underground movie. Un- underground, Possibly the most racially insensitive of the episode of the whole series. We'll but, talk about that. And that's how people. The opening, I thought, was a little weird because he comes home and there are, everybody's in the backyard. Mike is taking a whole movie of Bobby and Cindy swinging on their cheap little swing set. Carol's going, oh, I think they've gone high enough. Aren't they going high enough now? (laughs) And Greg immediately launches into, I've got the grooviest teacher, and she wants us to do these projects, and one kid's writing a book about this, and another kid's doing this, and blah, blah, blah. 
right out of a script. They're like, well, what are you going to do? Because they have to do something about the pilgrims. And Greg's eye meets the camera. <laughs> says, I'm going to make a movie. And Mike's like, you better be careful with my camera. Because back then, I mean, people don't know how easy we have it now. With our phones With and our stuff. phones. It's and a even Super 8 movie camera. That was uh, something special back it then. It was. I noticed, too, that, you know, they dyed Mike Lickenland's hair the first season. Yes. I noticed this, it's more reddish. But there's some little jokes that you won't get if you're from the century. Like, somebody says Greg might get an A on the movie, and back then, the movie ratings were A, B, Yeah, and Bobby C. said, and Bobby said oh, does that mean kids can go? Yeah. And then there's, of course, the typewriter makes another appearance. Greg's typing his script in the middle of the night, and I was thinking, I remember, remember how Dad... Dad used to be a type typing all all the all time night at long. night. Yeah, that noise. I like the noise of a typewriter. I do too. But it's he'd be smoking his cigarette with the Budweiser there, type type typing typing God typing. Nobody knows if he was typing. It's yeah. Well, it's like people are on their lap. Greg's downstairs typing, and Mike and Carol, and then Alice, because of course her bedroom's right there, so it's yeah. like he all come out. But then they all want to get in on it, and I always felt like that was kind of an L.A. gag where everybody's got a script going on, and That's they all had. Well, Alice says it might be Mike. Yeah, it's Mike. That's not how Indians would talk. you got to have a lot of uggs and, and hows. Yeah, yeah, it's Mike, because then Carol says, oh, that's corny, dear. And I'm like, no. It's racist, it's racist dear. dear. Yeah. And Aunt Alice makes some remark about a painted face. Yeah, because she's, of course, the, got yeah, her cream on stuff face. on her face again. And the Indian stuff is just so bad. The boys run around hooting. They want to be Indians. Yeah, they want to be Indians. Of course, the girls fight over who's going to be Priscilla. Then Peter... Is even worse actor than Chris Knight. No, I, no that was my favorite <laughs> part. Funny, so they're though. making the movie. They're making the movie. They make all the sets. First of all, it's so, because Peter has to do his lines. He's either John Alden. I can't even yeah. remember. The, but he, like, shouts. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they told him to act that on purpose. Really like, so, but I thought that was, that that was, was like, funny. one of my favorite parts. And then, of course, Alice has to play multiple parts. And, of course, she has to play a guy because it's always funny to defeminize Alice. But she does a good job even she in is that funny. Movie. Poor Greg, you know, he's trying to direct this movie, and she mentions lunches in the oven. And they all start, and somebody's like, what is it? And it's spaghetti and meatballs. And I'm like, in what world do you put spaghetti and meatballs in the oven? Unless she had them in there just to stay warm. But I thought it was another um, thing. You know, we've learned men don't cook, and men are in charge of the show and writing the script. So maybe they don't know you don't put That's spaghetti true. and meatballs. But so poor Greg, the movie's been taken away from him by his cast and yes. crew. Nobody's listening to him, and he has a big meltdown. Cindy calls Greg a dum-dum. Yeah, which I thought was a nice turnaround. And he kind of gets in a big, well, he he has a big huffy moment. Doesn't even want to do the movie because he can't do it the way he wants to. And doesn't Mike assure him that he'll make everybody do what Greg wants and Greg's in charge? Yes, he does. And so they make the movie. Yes. And, and also Mike gives a quick history lesson about the Indians having their land taken away. He says they're friendly at first. Then they start having their land taken away. And Bobby and Peter like, what, the pilgrims took their land away? And Mike's like, well, not all at first. Almost. kind of weird. It's almost kind of a half-hearted, uncertain nod towards maybe the white men weren't yeah. all right. But then their They're racial straight. stereotyping and treatment of Indians in the show negates any of that. And the fact that Mike isn't really able to sell it. And so, yeah, Alice plays a man, which she does a good job And so job they of. have a grand old time a um, filming the movie. And it's really... One thing I liked about the show, so when they're all settling down in the living room for a change to watch it, I felt 
like there was a lot of that ad-libbing. Yes. Even when they're sitting down before watching the movie, just the way they're talking about just having the kind of conversation if eight people were settling down to watch something that they would, and Alice brings them popcorn, and it, it almost feels like it was an unscripted thing where they just said, okay, act like a normal family sitting down to watch a movie. I really like those moments that I feel. I don't know for sure, because Lloyd didn't mention it in his yeah. book. But I feel like when they have these moments that feel ad-lib, they almost feel like more of a real family yeah. than they do oh, in yeah, the scripted definitely. things. And then when they're watching the movie and laughing about it. Yeah. But earlier in the show, before they show the movie, when they're showing all, like, all the filming, and they have like a montage, mm-hmm. which I had, but they have the theme, Brady theme music, oh, but yeah. it's at a different beat and everything, yes. and it's good. And it reminded me of him in the book saying how Sherwood Schwartz said he really liked the tune because it was so usable. Yes, for, for everything. And another thing I noticed is they did what everybody in New England hates. They pronounced Concord wrong. Yes. Concord. Yep. And up here we call it Concord, where the first shot in the Revolutionary War was... Not Concord, New Hampshire, though. Concord, Mass. I know. Michelle Bachman. Yes. And Um, the teacher gave Greg an A. Not for the quality of the movie, but because of the history, he says. I almost felt like Robert Reed was again saying, (laughs) well, he wasn't going to get an A for that movie. And so they said, well, Um, let's make it clear that he got... Although Greg is wrong that the Pilgrims did not only wear black and white. Yeah, he was wrong about that. But I do like the costumes they made later. Yeah, Greg didn't like the initial costumes. And there was a lot of elaborate costume making going on. And a very boy, well, that family really pitched into. Well, they don't have anything else to do, I guess. So then we go. We have another Marsha episode. We did. Episode 5, Going, 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 going Steady. steady. Um, well, first of all, Marsha's acting stoned. Much like when Greg had the crush on his teacher... The first thing that would cross my mind was that she's on the drugs. The kids were on drugs. And yeah, and she makes a lot of those really weird non- nonsense science. remarks like the birds are growing the and the grass is smell like wine and stuff. And of course, the adults all realize that she's in love. Right? And Alice, once again, is the understanding, compassionate person at the beginning. <laughs> um, but it turns out she's in love with a boy named Harvey Klinger who doesn't know she exists. But listen, I've got to tell you. And we've all been there. Mike and Carol are talking to the boys about, the, do you know this guy, Harvey Klinger? And Greg's like, Harvey Klinger! <laughs> and then he says, I wrote this quote down because it's funny. He's an all-time All-American grade A creep, besides being a jerk and goof and a double dingbat. <laughs> and Carol says, Greg, don't you think that's being a little bit, just a little bit strong? <laughs> I know. How times have changed. (laughs) Peter and Greg are like, ugh, Harvey Klinger, and Bobby doesn't know him, obviously. But it's funny that Greg has such a strong reaction about him, but when you meet him, he's just like this. But the thing is, Harvey Klinger does not know... That Marsha That Marsha exists. exists. All he cares about... Her friend that... She calls her friend that sits next to him in some class and asks... Marsha's crushed... When she finds out that he knows nothing of her. She says, in fact, she goes, she's talking to Alice, and she's like, Have you ever been in love? I mean, really, truly in love? I'll never find the right man again. And Alice says, I know how you feel, and it really hurts until the next guy comes along. She's kind of right, because when you're 13... So, they come up with the great plan. Because Harvey's very interested in insects, Marsha's going to be interested That's in insects. right. And, you That's know, there comes... You get the guy. And this is the moment in every... yourself. Right. 
the moment in every girl's life when she grows into a woman and learns she has to subjugate herself to men in order to appeal to them and get their attention. Even if they're as groovy looking as Marsha, you have to put your interests aside and find what he's interested in, force yourself to be interested in it too, so that he'll pay attention to well, you. Well, now, when they... And Marsha, you know, she could do better. A great plot twist would have been to have a... Another kid come along who loved her just the way she was. Well, they're talking. So, of course, Alice, Mike, and Carol are d- discussing this because it's very, apparently, very important to them. Mike says that they should butt out. Uncharacteristically. Uh, but Carol and Alice want to help. Why? Because they have nothing better um, to do. They don't, least Carol. they don't know this kid. Or anything about him, but they right. want him to notice more. I think Carol needs more to do in her life. Um, well, so they teach her, you know, in other words, don't Carol be, tutors don't be her. herself. Carol sits there at the table and, and tutors her, her about, bugs, about bugs, then pays Greg to go out and find some bugs for Marsha to have to, show to bring her. to school. And Marsha, give the girl credit, she gets into bugs. And one funny scene is Jan and Greg making fun of Oh, Marcia. yes, I thought that was Jan's funny. Jan's like, do you know the hairy-eyed beetle has eyes? <laughs> and their plan works very well. Harvey takes an interest in Marsha. And he's over, over at the house. And I like when he goes... him if he wants a bug sandwich. <laughs> no, but I like it when Harvey's talking about the fly tearing its own wings off. And he goes, one of the... Wait, one wait of the mysteries of... It, but he says, one of the eternal mysteries of the insect world. Yeah. He just seems he says, so. But why? Yeah. Why? Yeah, and Mike is in the kitchen, and Mike's a little perturbed. Everybody keeps coming through the kitchen. I know. Well, wouldn't there. you? Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, yeah. they're in the kitchen talking about bugs, and because that's apparently all Harvey can fucking talk about. Mm-hmm. He looks a little like my college boyfriend, but he, who <laughs> has his own. Except for your college boyfriend was a little older. <laughs> no, actually, he was but twelve. After he was one of the smartest. <laughs> Bobby Corcoran. He did not... No, William Corcoran. Oh, okay. Billy. Billy William. Corcoran. He did not do much after... He didn't do any acting after after childhood. No. Nope. I looked him up because he looked familiar to me. Anyways, yes, yeah, so... So Marsha, in the true Brady tradition, starts getting a big head about things. Harvey feeds her a line of bull. No, well, first they're going steady, and then Carol has to break it to Mike, but he doesn't care. Well, she wants to go steady if it's okay with Carol, and Carol has to ask Mike if it's okay. And Which I'm Mike like, so says, so Mike is the determiner of, of relationships. So Mike doesn't give a shit. He's like, going steady today isn't the same as when we were 13. Which makes you wonder what the hell I is know, going on when they, they were 13. Were they 25 years screwing each other? Apparently. But so Marcia starts getting a little full of herself. She's at Carol's makeup desk. Putting on, trying to put on false <laughs> <fake laughs> eyelashes. And she yeah, goes, and she tells her mom that Harvey says that a girl her age is like a 20-year-old used yeah. to be. Now she's 13. And a boy his age, who's 14, is like a 22-year-old yeah. man. So I'm not sure why that. Ages don't add up. And he also says, you know, parents, Harvey was right. Parents, your generation just doesn't understand ours. And Carol's like, oh, it's the same, you know. I've never worn false eyelashes. No, I've never worn any makeup. I thought they'd fall off. But so what? can be done. What can be well, done? of course, Mike. This gives Mike an idea. We need some trickery. We yes. need some major trickery. We have to Instead of sitting down with our daughter and, and talking about, you know, she already knows about the birds and the bees, but instead of talking to her about 
relationships and growing up. Let's play a mind game yeah, instead. Yeah, Mike is all over that. And also, before the mind game, why is Carol so afraid to tell him what's happened? And it's not only because he's going to say, I told you so. You feel like it's more than that and that we're, as an audience, supposed to understand. Because he's afraid to tell Mike it's gotten out of hand. You know, and she's like, oh, I'm so upset about the way Marsha has changed. So it's okay for Marsha to be superficial the way you want her to be. But then when she becomes more superficial because she's acting older than she should and she's trying to put on makeup and everything, you don't. You're now, after you gave her the message that you need to act differently to get this boy, now you're upset. But nobody makes that point. Mm. But Carol's afraid to tell Mike, and she keeps putting it off, and Alice chides her about it. Yes, she But Mike has an idea. He's all over it. He decides to work his magic on Harvey. Um, But but there was another thing earlier, too, that I want to... The only time ever so far, and we're into the second season, when a girl has anything to do with sports, Peter and Bobby need another guy to play basketball, so they go ask Marsha, and she's like, I'm not a guy, I'm a woman, kind of thing. And so apparently Marsha can play basketball, which comes as a big surprise to me, because never before or after does she play. So anyways, Mike has an idea. Harvey comes over. Mike grills Harvey about his and Marsha's future plans. And he's like, oh, what we men put up with, huh? And then Carol joins in and scaring them, asking them about what they're going to do when they get married and all this stuff. And Marsha and Harvey are totally weirded out. They're on their way out to go. They're like, married? (laughs) Married? They're only going out for a soda. And so they go out for a soda. What if it had backfired? What if this plan had backfired? And they, they said, got yeah, let's elope. Romeo and Juliet, let's go get married. You know, but so Mike's, Mike's mind fuck worked. Neither of the kids learned anything about relationships, getting along with people, no. anything like that. They were just mind fucked back into being kids until the next time. And then time. after they leave, Mike growls at Carol. Yeah. And yeah. Calling her. <laughs> but then Marsha apparently has a guy of the week, although she oh, trades up right. because she comes in with this handsome, older looking blonde yes, kid, yes. Lester. Why do these boys have such awful names? And I then don't there were, and apparently from the conversation, there have been a couple of. Every her. week she's got a Harvey different fella. Harvey was in trip. Yeah. Which we all knew anyway. I know. So maybe she's just being herself now. We well, can only good. hope. They like it that she plays But, with you. you know, it hasn't changed much now. Women are still kind of taught to change for men. No one actually comes out and says that to us. But. But our society encourages it and everything you see as you, a You woman, need to be interested yeah. in what he's interested in. He doesn't have to be interested in what no. you're interested in. That's the little thing. Because and what women are interested in is frivolous silly. and stupid. Yeah. yeah. On our other podcast, Crime and Stuff, on episode where you talked about Phil Hartman. I, I, don't, I couldn't remember that. I know. You know, his wife killed him and then killed herself. And she had that issue where she was constantly trying to mold herself, even though she was probably a smart and interesting person, trying to mold herself for the guy she wanted to be with. And, and it just do doesn't that. work. They and do. Then, and, and then, then they're frustrated and can't understand why. And you, and you feel... Your self-esteem doesn't... Because nothing's worse than being alone. And women have enough problems with their self-esteem without feeling even worse. Right. That you're you're not good enough. Who you are isn't good enough. I'm not going to come back to Bridget Jones' diary again, but wouldn't it be great if who you are was good enough for the fella? Or, and there are guys... Who who you are is good enough, but a lot of women don't hold out for that because they don't want to be alone, so they don't say, I'd rather, you know, be home reading a book. I know. And now we've got another Greg episode, the final one of today. Call Me Irresponsible. 
Yeah. And it seems so far, like I said earlier, it's Greg Marsha, Greg yeah. Marsha. I think it's funny at the beginning, Greg's in Mike's study. His where all the He's very nervous. He has to talk to mom and dad. He has very important state. And I was thinking if this was 2017, he'd be coming out. That's what yes, you're talking about. Yes, he would be. But they're very curious about but this very... But even back then, though, he could have been saying, I knocked up my girlfriend, yes, Randy. But they don't seem to be too concerned. And then it turns out what he wants to tell them is he wants to get a job because he wants to buy a car because he's going to be 15 next month. And, and so 16's right around the corner. Well, and he's you know, got a car he wants. Car. And what I think is funny, first of all, Greg employs a little trickery that they yes, don't really... he appeals to Mike's vanity. By telling him he wants to be an architect. Which I doubt he really does. Yeah, I think there's a later episode, if I remember right yes. there, it turns out he doesn't want no, to be one. But doesn't. at this point, and then he, of course, expects Mike to hire him at his firm, which Mike does. But it's funny, when he first says he wants a job, Carol's like, doing what? <laughs> like, the thought of Greg getting a job is so... Like, what would he do and the funny thing is too how it's a big deal that he he's afraid tell them he wants to get a job a lot of families including the one we grew up in expect you when you're like 15 to get a job although i did have a friend growing up whose parents did not want her to work when she was in school did they want her to she want focus on her yes, studies yes and did she no she got a job Maybe the Bradys, maybe architects make a lot of money and Mrs. Brady doesn't have to work. But like in our family, we got jobs when we were 15 and the rule kind of was if you don't like your job and wanted to quit, you had to find another, have another one lined up. And we all, we all had paper routes and babysat and stuff before. Well, you didn't, but you babies. I mean, we all did little things before. And Maine, you can work when you're 15. You know, it's funny on this show, they don't mention Greg's not 15 yet, even. Yeah, but 1970. Yeah, but there are no friggin' laws. Unless you're an actor, child actor. So Mike hires Greg at the architecture firm. But Greg kind of puts his nose up at the job. He does. I mean, people think millennials are entitled. I know. He thinks he's going to be designing buildings, and it turns out he's going to be emptying wastebaskets. He's a gopher. And be a gopher, which he should be happy. And Randy just thinks it's out of sight. She thinks architects are out of sight. Yeah, and Randy's, she's this cute little yeah, blonde thing. Randy's Little excited. girl. Greg has enticed her with his future car. And he's also enticing the kids. And what's interesting about this episode is Cindy's not in it. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, but that's I noticed true. it. Lloyd said that the studio was trying to save money. Right, because they were always on the edge this show it wasn't making a ton of dough i didn't even notice yeah that. yeah i noticed it because like when he's trying to entice jan peter and bobby to, to cough up some money to cough up some money for his future car that they can pay for they gas and stuff yeah. like that and it's funny i started paying i put and i'll talk after this about the ages of the kids thing erica woke makes an interesting point about him but i've started thinking since jan is younger than peter and i didn't realize how much younger than marcia she was of almost being as close in age as Bobby as she is to Peter. And sometimes, especially in these earlier episodes, when you see the three of them together, I finally see her as, like, younger Mm -hmm. than I was thinking of her. So Greg tries to entice the three kids to kind of sign on to pay for, like, a quarter. Prepay for um, rides in the car, which they totally buy into. So Greg is at the working at the architecture firm. But no, I've got something I need to say here. Okay. Because I noticed this both times I watched this recently. Mike's they show an outside shot of Mike's office building. It looks like a library. It has books painted on it. It's like a building with books on it. I didn't notice that. I swear to God. I've I'll have to, I'm have to look like, at that. Maybe that's a, a famous Los Angeles building. Well, I'm going to have to go back and look now and yeah. see. So Greg gets the job there. He. 
he's emptying waste baskets, doing a good job. But his first important job is he has to deliver some of Mike's designs, which he did a very good job on, according to Mr. Phillips, yeah, Mr. to Phillips. the copy center to get them copied before it closes. And they used to have these big giant machines to do. They the still thing. do. Yeah. I did them at Staples. Um, it was pretty cool. It was fun to do. So Mike. I think is fucking stupid. He wants to give Greg a, a chance. Well, he's just delivering these, but Greg doesn't take it seriously. Greg stops at the newsstand to look at his car magazine, mm. and the bottom falls off the cylinder because they don't secure it the way they should. Fucking tape. The plans fall out, and then everybody like deliberately steps on them. Well, now, I want to say that this episode, as a child, made me very, very uncomfortable, and it still does as an adult. Yes, me too. It made me very upset and uncomfortable. And I kept thinking to myself, too, those are obviously blueprints. Nobody picks them up. If you open blueprints, they have the address. I know. Nobody picks them up, but apparently nobody does. So Greg, very upset, goes home, and boy, is Mike mad. That must have been hard. And Robert Reed does a great job of being mad. I wrote, Mike it's P.O.'d underlined. Yeah. And it Mr. Boys, Phillips ain't too happy. And then Carol, of course, is more understanding. And Greg points out to her that in baseball, if a guy makes an error, they don't throw him off the team. So she goes into the study to appeal to Mike. But instead of error, she says, fumble. Isn't that uh, cute? And everybody laughs. Because it's so cute when women try to talk about sports and they get it mixed up. But still, Mike is focused. He's going to work all night to get these plans done. And Carol and Alice. And draw them. So, you know. Carol and Alice have to give him coffee all night long. Long because they can't just fucking go to bed and let him get his own coffee. No. And also they have to do it with a smile. Oh, yes. He tells her to smile. Yeah. I wrote, he Mike tells Carol to smile. Fuck him. Yeah, you're going to be up all night, bitch, serving me coffee, and you better fucking smile. And then Alice comes in to make a case for Greg. And he's like, I'm busy. You I know, don't blame him, though. I mean, he's trying to get this Well, but he's so patriarchal. I know. And so important. And obviously Alice wouldn't bother him. If she didn't have, and sh- her pitch, again, she's the voice of reason, and we don't realize it at the time, but her pitch actually works. So he stays, stays up all night doing the plans. And Mr. Phillips says, these are even better than they are before. But well, my pro- my thing about it is, Mr. Phillips is the one that wanted him to fire Greg. Like, right, Mr. Phillips wants to fire, I know, Mike on the phone Mike that Greg was fired. Decide. I know. Right, but I'm Mike, saying. they think Mike can. can advocate and and okay. of course it turns out he can. But I'm, I love Mr. Phillips' is like, these are better than These before. are even better than before. And I'm like, there are plans for low-income housing. Aren't they mechanical drives? I mean, it's not like you're doing a watercolor. How's it going to be even better? I don't know. It's got the same lines and dimensions and shit. But to me, it's another case of Hollywood writers not really knowing what architects do. They so really what would the know. boss say? These are even better than they are before. So Mike decides to give Greg a, Greg's home chance. open around. Oh, then the kids go with their piggy banks. Jan has a doll bank because it's she's like, a girl. Yes. And, and Bobby has a piggy bank. And Peter doesn't have a bank. <laughs> but they go to Greg to pay him. To and then they're like, yeah, oh, I'm like, how come they didn't know about his issues? Well, maybe, maybe nobody was talking about him because it was night when he got home. And then they figure out, oh, what are you doing home? And he's like, I got fired. But then Mike calls. And he says to Mr. Phillips. I want to give Greg a chance. And, and Mr. Mr. Phillips is like, ah. Mr. Phillips gives in. And Alice and had I appealed to Mike. How about some tape, motherfuckers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Alice had appealed to Mike on, you know, when she he first hired her, she did got some mix up with the stars and stuff. And then Mike appeals to Mr. Phillips and he gives in. And wouldn't you think, Greg given the second chance, would hold on to those fucking 
designs, like yeah. his fucking life yes. depended on it. So Greg's riding to deliver the copies to the printer. And the chain on his and bike. the chain on his bike breaks. But who happens to be right there but his little girlfriend, Randy, and her, and her dad with a station wagon. Her father, the guy that played her father was a really shitty actor. Yeah, he was kind of creepy. And he, he offers, but he offers Greg a ride. So instead of Greg holding on to the fucking designs, like his he fucking puts life, him in the back. he puts him in the back with his bike. And so Mr. Peterson takes off, and of course Greg's hand is right there, oh. but he's waving at Mr. Peterson instead of grabbing the, so he has to go chasing all over L.A. trying to find Mr. Peterson's car. And I don't car. know how he knew which garage, because as soon as she said his car's at the garage, he took Greg's off. like, okay, and he takes And you off. know who the mechanic was played by? Gordon Jump. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, That's right. I looked at the credits. So another appearance by Gordon Jump. And we don't know yet because then we go home and there's Mike and Carol. It's 6.30. The copy place closed half an hour ago. Mike is bullshit. Where's Greg? No, wait. I said I'd give him a second chance. And Greg comes strolling in. And Mike said, did he get the designs delivered? And Greg's like, yeah, sure, Dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. No problem. And then Mike wants to TV and chill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he tries to. Yeah, because Greg's all dressed up her. in a suit because he's, he's going over the to tag. Randy's. He's going to go over to Randy's, but because he's saving his money for a car, and, and Randy just, understands. And Randy he's understands. Gonna string her along. He's going to get. A lot they're of, just going to watch gonna TV and chill. Out of that car and she understands. Right, and she understands they're not going out. So then Mike and Carol, who are going to go to a movie, Mike suggests watching TV and chilling to Carol, and then they start <laughs> making, getting, out. making out. And that is the first six episodes of season two. Yeah. So I wanted to, it's not my fun fact, but Erica Walk in the Bradypedia points out the ages thing. Oh, okay. And she writes, it's time to start the Brady Kid Age Shuffle in season two. It's hard to pin down just how old the kids are in any given year, and sometimes the gap between the kids changes. Yes. In general, most of the time, Greg is the oldest, Marsha is one year younger than he is, then comes Peter, two years after her, and then Jan the next year. Yes. Bobby, two more years later, and Cindy is the last, one year okay. behind Bobby. In other words, the boys are three years apart from each other, as are the girls, and the girls are one year behind the boys. But this isn't always true. For example, in this season, Cindy is eight, and she means season two. And remember, last Christmas, Erica Woke points out she was, she was six. six. Yeah. Bobby is nine. Jan turns 12 in November. Peter is 12. Marcia is 14, and Greg turns 15 in November. And she says, stay tuned for next season when Marsha and Greg's age change the most. The ages change we'll conveniently for And I know purposes. that when they became teenagers, Marcia and Jan seemed to be closer together, like when they both work in the ice right. cream pro. So, about the babysitters, Barry Williams says, his note on this is, with all the running around in this episode, you get a pretty good look at how the Brady set was physically laid out. Basically, all the downstairs rooms, garage, driveway, front door, and backyard were indeed connected and laid out together just as they appeared on TV, while the upstairs room and later the attic were housed in another area. So they pretty much built it like the house. And, you know, I mentioned in the, um, maybe in the one where Alice sprains her ankle, but in a later one, too, that rug in their house is freaking filthy. Yes. And you don't, you'll notice that, you know, they, they probably did them on film, right? I watch on my iPad, and it's probably got a lot better definition than our TVs had when we were growing up. But, I mean, 
It's disgusting. We'll talk about it later. There's a episode later when I first noticed it, and now rewatching them, I'm noticing how gross it is. Their house, there's a lot of like gross, like shabby, which is a house. I mean, I mean, if it, it is, was a real house, it would be too. But it's a set as well. I don't think it was intended to be dirty because this is how a house would be, especially since they have a house cleaner. Yeah, I know. I well, think all she does is dust, though. So the thing that caught my eye the most was that. Almost every episode now, Bob Reed wears the blue velour mock turtleneck. I know. But my favorite quote, Marsha is in love. It, she says a lot of silly things, but um, when she says, who can feel when your heart has wings? <laughs> and then she like takes a bite of that. I know. And everyone's like, what does that mean? And I also like when Harvey Klinger is talking about the fly pulling its own wings off. And he, the way he, just the way he goes, the way he but goes, why? 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 And I then like he goes, that. one of the eternal mysteries of the insect yes, world. I like that one too. I'd have to say that one was my favorite. But why? Why? He seems so, like, <laughs> passionate about it. Oh, man. So, that's this week, and you can find us on Twitter at GroovyTubePod, and we like to tweet um, screenshots from the episodes, and I have the closed captions on, so it has their lines yes, and I stuff. Yes, I do, too. And we're going to put that, we're going to start an Instagram account and put some of those on Instagram and on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook at GroovyTube Podcast. You can email us at GroovyTubePodcast at Gmail. And we would love to hear what your favorite episode yes. is or your favorite Brady Or your Brady favorite moments. memory. Yeah. yeah, or if you have personal memories that are Brady-related or remind you of a Brady Bunch episode. We're all fans to together. Us. Our website is GroovyTubePodcast.com. Yes. And so, so next week we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 7. The Treasure of Sierra Avenue. Oh, I like that one. Episode 8, A Fistful of Reasons. Ooh. That's a Peter one. I like that one. Episode 9, The Not-So-Ugly Duckling. Oh, yeah. Episode 10, The Tattletale. Susan Olsen's least favorite. Mm, I don't blame her. Episode 11, What Goes Up. And episode 12, Confessions, Confessions. And this is when... They start doing a different kid each episode yes. being the star. It's when it truly tell. happens. So that's something that we're going to talk more about. And until next week, watch some Brady's, catch stay, up with us, stay and groovy, and stay groovy. Woo! And a special thanks to Ben Sound for our groovy music.